1 Samuel 17. Next week uh, will be my 20th anniversary in pastoral ministry. And somehow I've managed to make it 20 years without ever preaching or teaching on the story of David and Goliath. Not intentionally, I just, I don't think I've ever done it. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, Because everybody knows the story. Even non-Christians know this story because it's a classic underdog story. It's just a very relatable, easy to share story. It's kind of a larger than life story. And very often when someone preaches about David and Goliath, we are told things like, now go slay the giants in your life. Right? Or we're encouraged to be like David. To have courage like David. Have no fear. But one of the biggest enemies of good Bible study is familiarity. And so I want us to try and hear this story today with fresh ears. I want you to listen as though you've never heard the story before. And in the background, if you've been keeping up with us as we study the book of Samuel, try to remember the context. Okay, Everything that we've already learned about the book of Samuel so far matters when we come to this story. Okay, So we're at the beginning of chapter 17. There are two armies preparing for battle. Verse 3 says, The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's probably somewhere between 7 and 10 feet tall. I know that's a big range, but we don't know exactly how long that is. And so he's tall, especially by ancient standards. Verse 5. Goliath had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. In Hebrew, it says that he's wearing a coat of scales or scale armor and that this armor weighs about 125 pounds, which means Goliath is incredibly strong, he's incredibly tall, and he's wearing scales like a serpent. Keep that in mind. Verse 6. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. So this is just an impressive beast of a man. And he steps out from the army and he offers this famous challenge. And the Philistine said, 
I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is now the fourth chapter in a row that highlights the fear of the people. They're still not fearing God. They're fearing men. And we're told in verse 16 that Goliath comes out and he makes this challenge every single day for 40 days straight. But no one will accept his challenge. And this is where David comes back into the story. We're told that three of his older brothers are now in the army. And so Jesse, his father, sends David to the battlefield with a care package, food and other supplies. And David is doing this because David was still technically too young to join the army. But when he gets to the battlefield, he hears Goliath's challenge. Verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now verse 26 is the first time that David speaks in the Bible. We met him in the last chapter, but this is the first time he speaks. And his first words are a question, the right question, the one that no one seems to be asking. Why are you letting this foreigner mock our God? Verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And this is an important moment. If you remember Eliab from the last chapter, he was the tall, handsome brother. He's the man Samuel assumed was going to be God's chosen king. Eliab should be the one accepting the challenge of Goliath. Instead, he mocks his younger brother. Why are you here? What do you know? Go back to your sheep. You just came here to watch the battle, to watch the real men fight. 
verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David says, Don't lose heart. I will fight Goliath. One of my favorite characters in all of literature, but especially in the Chronicles of Narnia, is the little mouse named Reepicheep. And I have a strong suspicion that C.S. Lewis was thinking of David when he created this mouse, because the mouse is all heart and courage. Okay, just imagine this little mouse with a sword and a hat. I want to read one of my favorite little stories. Um, It's from the Silver Chair. Prince Caspian, the leader of the good guys. He says, A dragon has just flown over the treetops and landed on the beach. I'm afraid it is between us and the ship. Arrows are no use against dragons, and they're not at all afraid of fire. With your majesty's leave, began Reepicheep. <laughs> no, Reepicheep, said the king very firmly. You are not attempt a single combat with the dragon. But that mouse was ready to fight the dragon by himself, if need be. And this is David. Verse 33, Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. So first Eliab, and now Saul. And we should ask, why hasn't the king, after 40 days, himself gone out to fight Goliath? So the two biggest, strongest men in the book of Samuel uh, that are Israelites, Saul and Eliab, they both mock David for, for wanting to do what they should have been the ones doing. And that's important to the story. Because humanly speaking, they were the obvious champions. That's how we're supposed to read this story. We're supposed to be asking the question, why are the big strong men not doing what they're supposed to do? Listen to David's reply. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. I want you to notice in David's reply that he gives proper credit to God. He says, the Lord delivered me. And that makes all the difference. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped his sword over his armor. 
And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Now, I thought about skipping this section because I just kind of wanted to get to the fight. But these are important details. Notice that Saul wears heavy armor, just like Goliath. But David refuses to wear it. As I thought about this, I realized it's important, and we've talked about this before, the heavy armor is not just a little detail in the story. It's, it's more than just protection. The king wears big, heavy armor to display his glory. Remember we've talked about this several times. Glory in the Old Testament means basically the same thing as heavy. And so all this heavy, shiny, expensive armor was a display of glory. And notice that David doesn't want it. It's not just that he doesn't need the protection. He doesn't want the glory. And I think that's important. But let's finish reading. Did this go off? Yeah, it's dead. Can you grab me some batteries? They're underneath there, underneath the computer. Perfect timing because I'm about to read the rest of the story. So, one second. Keeping things informal, guys. Just meditate and pray. All right, is that better? Sweet. Okay, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with spear or sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. That's the ending of the story this morning. This story is about one thing. It's about the honor of God. That's what David is so passionate about, isn't it? This is about the glory and honor of God Almighty. David is not concerned with his personal honor, but God's. And we tend to read this story and we tend to be amazed by the courage of young David, right? The fact that he charges into battle, he doesn't hesitate. But David himself would not want us to walk away thinking, God, what a courageous young man. What would David want us to learn from this story? What a great God he serves. What a great God he believes in, that he trusts. For 40 days, Goliath mocked God's people and no one stepped up to defend the honor of God. So God defended His own honor by using a young man with a sling and some pebbles. Now, I don't know if David intended this, but God certainly did. And maybe this is why He used David. The writer makes it very clear that David took none of the typical weapons of war into battle. He took only his shepherd's staff and a few stones. And the reason that's so important is because this battle was not between two men. This battle was clearly a judgment from God. 
Goliath was guilty of something that in the Bible is called blasphemy. Which just means he's mocking God. He's talking smack to God. And there was a specific punishment in the Old Testament for people who are guilty of blasphemy. You know what it was? Stoning. They were to be stoned. And that's what David does. He literally stones Goliath with a pebble. (laughs) But this battle's not about David. Which is probably why he was chosen. Because God knew he was going to go to the stream and get some rocks and stone Goliath to death for blasphemy. He's also figuratively bruising the head of the serpent. Remember I told you, what's he wearing? A coat of scales, right? This is a minor fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis 3. David, running toward Goliath in the shadow of the Almighty God, strikes a blow to the head of a giant wearing a coat of scales. Not a coincidence. And of course, there's all sorts of parallels to the Lord Jesus, right? Jesus was not received by His own people and neither was David. Jesus was mocked while literally saving His people and so was David. Jesus experienced 40 days in the wilderness being mocked by Satan, the same number of days Goliath mocked God's people. This is why Bible study is so cool, guys. You've got to get in there. You've got to put in the work. It's important. But now let's talk about why does this matter, okay? Why does this ancient story matter for us? Um, maybe a better question, and the one that all the commentators seem to ask is this. Who are we in the story? How should we read ourselves into this story? Okay, There are certainly some things we can learn from David, but we are not David in the story. So let me make that clear. I don't think that's the point, is for us to think of ourselves as David and to say, how can I be more like David in my life? It's not, that's not the takeaway. Okay, Maybe we're Eliab. Possibly we might identify with Saul. But better yet, I think that the character that we best identify with in the story is any of the nameless, fearful Israelites on the sidelines watching our Savior win the battle for us. And I think that's probably the most appropriate gospel takeaway from this story. But I want to be a little more specific than that. Okay? So we're the Israelites watching David win the battle for us. But just as Goliath stepped out from Philistia to represent his nation, and David charges out into battle to represent the nation of Israel, Jesus also represents his covenant people on the cross. In fact, the word champion which is used three times to describe Goliath in the story, means in Hebrew, man of the between. Or man in the gap. That's what a champion is. Someone who stands in the gap for his people. 
And that's exactly who Jesus became for us, right? He became the man between us and God. He stood in the gap for us. In that sense, we might even say Jesus became both our David and our Goliath. And isn't that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21? God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, our David became our Goliath. On the cross, Jesus was both. And I think that means two things for us, and then we'll finish. Number one, it is not our job to save the world. That's the job of our champion, of our man in the gap. He gets the glory for every good thing, for every good work. For every righteous endeavor, our champion gets the glory. And we have to understand this, church. Every other battle that we think we're fighting well is pointless if Jesus hasn't already won this battle. If sin and death are not defeated, then what is the point of being concerned with anything else in this life besides my own personal happiness? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. But if Jesus has actually defeated sin and death, that has to be our primary concern. We will not, He told us we will not, be able to erase all abuses and injustices and suffering in this world. But we can take people with us into the next. That's the chief concern. It's number one, and it's important. But number two, that doesn't mean that we ignore the needs of the world. You see, if we're the nameless soldiers in the story, then we do still have a role to play. It's a secondary role, to be sure. And you can read this story and we don't give any glory to those guys, right? Because <laughs> none of them were willing to step up and fight. None of them could. But there's still a role to play. After David cuts the head off of Goliath, what do they do? They surge forward into battle. And that, brothers and sisters, is our job. To surge forward into the world behind our champion. And if we believe this, we have more reason than anyone else in the world to care about the needs of the world because we have hope in Christ. Now, to be clear, Jesus has changed the terms of engagement. 
He is not asking us to cut the heads off of our enemies. The battle has changed. Instead, we are commanded by Jesus to make disciples who will speak and act in defense of God's kingdom. Disciples who are both devoted to God's word and equally committed to works of compassion and sacrifice. Disciples who are not compelled by our desire for personal glory, but by our passion for the glory of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe that You have already slain the giant. Sin and death stand defeated at the cross. The wrath of God has been met with Your blood. We have claim because of Your grace to Your righteousness. We stand forgiven, accepted, loved, brothers and sisters, family of God. Disciples following our Savior. All of it by Your work. You are our champion. We can't add anything to Your work. We can't take anything away from it. All we can do is... Believe that battle is won and charge towards the world, not in fear of what people are going to say about us or think about us, not in fear of what the world might do, certainly not fearful of death, because you've defeated it. We go forward in victory, in joy, seeking to make disciples which means a lot of things. It means that we live and speak the truth of the Gospel, that we demonstrate faith and repentance, that we care about our neighbors, that we care about the suffering of this world. We care about our own sin. Lord, would You help us to be who You want us to be? Would You help us to be more like You? Not for our sakes, O Lord, but for Your name. For Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing.